Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. What is up, everyone? It is CW. Thank you for checking out the Top Docs Radio Show. On this week's episode, we took another look at telemedicine and how it is changing the way that healthcare is delivered, both in the state of Georgia as well as around the country. Turner Smith is the vice president of business development for a company called Telehealth Solutions. And what they do is interface with healthcare organizations and physician groups that are looking to implement telemedicine technology into their practice and how they deliver their care. Telehealth Solutions does not represent makers of telemedicine technology. Rather, they help the healthcare organization or physician practice that is looking to implement this sort of delivery model across their organization and do so knowing that they're avoiding mistakes and choices that could cost them significant money while not ultimately delivering what they were hoping to to their patient populations. The experts at Telehealth Solutions sit down with their clients to get to know what are they trying to achieve by making this platform available? What are their operational goals? What are their goals for patient care? And by doing so, ideally upfront before the purchasing process has begun, the healthcare organization can ensure the choice they're making with regards to the technology platform they choose is a good one for what they're trying to achieve and help them avoid having an expensive piece of software and equipment that ultimately doesn't get used and doesn't achieve its intended purpose. And similarly, Glenn Pearson of Pearson Health Tech Insights is somebody that consults with the makers of these technology platforms in the healthcare arena, including telehealth platforms. And what they do with those organizations is identify, again, what are they trying to solve with their solution? Who are they trying to make it for? And what are some of the challenges that they will face when it comes to interacting with the hospital or healthcare organizations that they would ultimately sell to that might, in the end, derail their great idea and keep it from actually being adopted? Glenn draws upon many years of experience with the hospital association and can help these companies understand what is the landscape like once they start interacting with healthcare organization leadership and what are some of the things they're going to drive the decisions they make and what are some of the pitfalls that would keep their technology from actually being deployed before they go into the costs of development. I was also joined in studio by president of Women's Telehealth, Tanya Mack. I met her long ago when she was hosting a healthcare show a while back here on the Business Radio X Network, actually. And Women's Telehealth is a company or essentially a virtual physician practice, if you will, that is utilizing telehealth technology, regardless of the maker. They, they're not affiliated with any particular platform. They utilize existing telehealth technologies within a health system and physician practice to give their patients access to obstetric specialists who handle high-risk pregnancies. This innovative health delivery model is already proving itself to be very effective at significantly improving outcomes for high-risk pregnancy mothers and their babies. This model is also helping women's telehealth client hospitals to be able to retain many mothers and their deliveries 
that would have been lost to referrals to another facility where those high-risk maternal fetal specialists are, obviously giving them the ability to retain revenue that will help them sustain themselves in the long run. Telemedicine is going to change the way healthcare is delivered to us across many specialties, so I'm really pleased to bring you these experts. Stick around for Turner Smith, Tanya Mack, and Glenn Pearson coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day again today. And thanks to our partners over at the Medical Association of Georgia for participating with us here and making this content available to you. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about telemedicine and how it is changing the landscape with regards to the way healthcare is delivered. When you look at around a state like Georgia, for example, we have a very large rural component to our community around this state. And many of those counties and cities around Georgia are in very rural areas that don't have primary care physicians, much less different specialists that they need to get access to. And one of the ways that we've begun to try and serve those patients out there with access to high quality, well-trained specialists is through the technology that we have available today through technology platforms like telehealth that incorporate videography in in addition to uh, the phone itself, being able to use the camera components of mobile devices, for example, now they're able to do urgent care, minor urgent care visits without ever leaving your house. So today, the folks that we have with us in studio, I've got Turner Smith. He's the vice president of business development for a company called Telehealth Solutions. Glenn Pearson, a gentleman I met last year, I think it was, right. yeah, right. at the Health Connect South event. And then, of course, Tanya Mack. I know her. I was actually on a show of hers once. That's uh, right. About it's good to see you uh, again. Almost two years ago. That's right. Turner, thanks for joining me. You're in the studio. Absolutely. For, for folks who aren't familiar with telemedicine, as I'm talking about, Turner, we'll start with you. Since you work in that space on a broad range, what, are, what exactly is encompassed by telemedicine? It depends. There are a number of different kind of silos in telemedicine. There is live video interaction. There's home health monitoring. So when you say telemedicine or telehealth more broadly, there are a number of different areas that, that you can get off into. Telehealth Solutions, we are a consulting company and we help folks primarily design and adopt telehealth solutions for their clinical practice. They are tailored to clinical workflow and clinical application and consideration of that in the adoption of technology is one of the most important factors out there for technology to be successfully leveraged for clinical practice. Glenn Pearson also is very, very good with broad technology adoption because there are just a lot of pitfalls. So many folks out there will adopt technology into their clinical practice thinking that, oh, this is going to be a great end result. But without doing the due diligence on the front end, very frequently what they end up with is a product or a set of products that sometimes not only don't deliver the end result they were looking for, but really interrupt their clinical workflow and fundamentally change how they practice. And without the consideration on the front end, much of that equipment after a large capital expenditure sometimes ends up collecting dust 18 months later. Who are we typically seeing that goes down that path that you're talking about? They're like, oh, I know what we got to do. We got to get this cool technology widget and add it to our practice. We're going to do this. It's going to be great. So as far as who goes down that path, it it depends. We've seen all sorts of folks go down that path. We have seen very, very large hospital systems go down that path. Uh, some of that is part and parcel. You hear about everybody ripping and replacing EHRs all the time uh, at, 
great expense. Right. I certainly believe that, that some of that could have been mitigated on the front end, but we've seen that all the way down through mid-sized practices, hospitals, large outpatient practices. It just depends. A lot of times think that uh, a lot of folks think that, uh, again, uh, technology is going to do something that it's certainly capable of, but if it's not well suited to the way they specifically practice medicine, very frequently they get an unintended consequence. So now with telehealth solutions as a consultancy, if you will, mm-hmm. to call it that, what are you trying to help them achieve? Are you trying to hopefully get involved with them before they go down and choose a certain like tele- telemedicine platform? In, in a perfect world, Or even yes. do we go down that path at all? In a perfect world, yes. Um, so we would love to get involved with folks on the front end to help them uh, design and implement a system that we know and they know is going to work and deliver the results that they believe it's going to deliver. Uh, however, we've also had great success with folks that have started off in telemedicine or telehealth and realized that it hasn't delivered the results that they wanted to. And very frequently, we get a call when folks uh, have got equipment that they realize 18 months later that they're just not using. Uh, and there's an opportunity there for us to come in and work with them hand in hand as a partner to help remedy the situation, whether that's through training, redesign of the clinical workflows, or even adding a modest amount of additional equipment that is kind of the secret sauce that helps make the uh, help, help turns the wheel. Who should contemplate in your mind as you've been in the space for a while, who would be health system or I guess even physician practices in general in, as a as a, the doctor's office that might want to offer this service to thinking that they would gain some greater efficiencies, maybe provide a greater service. But who's typically thinking about this platform as an add-on for what they're already doing through their healthcare delivery model? Yeah, again, I, I think that that spans a, a, a big range of folks from large health systems through uh, kind of mid, mid-market systems all the way down to individual practitioners. Uh, and we've worked with everybody kind of along that spectrum. You know, quite frankly, big systems tend to have far more internal resources, both from a technology standpoint as well as a a clinical standpoint. And, you know, a key to successful technology uh, adoption is a really a dialogue that is both clinical and technology. And a lot of folks you have, a lot of times you have very, very good IT and technology folks, but they don't necessarily understand the clinical workflows. Or you have clinicians that very much desire to leverage technology because they understand what it can do for them, but they don't have the technical expertise to make the recommendations or, or make selections around that. So crosswalking both of those specialties, uh, as, as well as kind of being able to speak each other's language, being multilingual, so to speak, and having that dialogue within the system is imperative. Kind of back to your question, Large systems very frequently have, uh, you know, enough horsepower internally uh, that they can create that dialogue and with the help of vendors or outside consultants can easily make that work. When you get into the mid-market and the lower market folks, uh, a lot of times they don't have dedicated IT resources. So again, they have a desire, but they don't necessarily have the expertise. Uh, And that's certainly where folks like Glenn and, and Tanya fit in as well. Been talking with Vice President of Business Development for Telehealth Solutions, Turner Smith, learning a little bit about what an organization should be contemplating when they're trying to decide should we implement 
technology platform, in this case today, telemedicine as, a, as an additional service and technology that they're leveraging. What would you say, Turner, are realistic goals to hope to, to achieve by adding this platform as a, another way that you're delivering care to your population? Again, I think the I think the goals are dependent on the on the practice. It depends on what they're trying to achieve. Whether that's greater clinical efficiency, uh, there are a number of practices that uh, have docs that travel a whole lot of miles between cities to multiple clinics, uh, and it cuts down uh, from a cost avoidance model on travel time. There is certainly access to patients when you get into home health and patient convenience. Uh, so there's there's kind of a, a whole host of reasons um, and goals that different folks have. And again, it's the technology changes slightly depending on what those business goals are. And that's why it's important to do an assessment on the front end to very clearly delineate what those goals are so that you can match technology to them to get the desired result. And clearly, you've got a consultancy that focuses on telehealth as uh, as where you bring your expertise. So there must be some pitfalls apparently, and, and some challenges and some mistakes can be made, as you talked about, that we launch this and then it ends up sitting in the closet gathering dust or we're hanging lab coats on it. So, I mean, what, what do you see as some of the things you want to know to help that client determine, well, maybe we shouldn't do this or maybe we should? I'm going to punt that one over to Glenn because that is right in his wheelhouse. And I think that Glenn has generated a list of innumerable that's pitfalls. Right. That's right. My my client base, my my company is Pearson Health Tech Insights, and my, my primary pl- client base is actually the other side of the equation: the developers of technology that want to sell to providers. You know, I have thirty years working with hospitals, so I have a real good insight as to how hospitals and physicians think. From the seller side, there are many many things that can go wrong. I, I have an outline I go through with my clients called Forty Six Pitfalls of Marketing to Hospitals You Didn't Even Know Existed." Obviously, it's a, kind of a funny title, but um, it, when I started out, put the first version of the list together, I had I think seven, and I've added however many thirty nine. I guess I've just added twelve in the last month. Um, some of the things that go wrong are, um, like Turner said, people may be very well versed in the technology side, but the medical world is very, very different. You're walking into a climate of a uh, high level of expertise clinically, scientifically, and all that. And uh, there's certain understandings that that people relating to that community need to have, uh, one of which is to be humble, to not come in and say that, you know, our our product will solve all your problems because, uh, frankly, hospitals and physicians have heard that many, many times. Yes. And, you know, you asked the question before about, um, you know, who who is, is likely to adopt this technology. There are really two ends of the spectrum of who uh, companies that are trying to sell, entrepreneurs are trying to sell to hospitals and physicians. They're the early adopters that are all gung-ho and really get this. There's the other side of that, though. Uh, there's a another group of people that have been burned by bad technology installs, like you were saying, they might have been victim to one of these bad implementations that ended up not costing a lot of money and not doing anything. I, I One of my blogs I wrote a few weeks ago, I, I was called, would you rather manage a nuclear power plant or buy healthcare technology? And it's kind of a you know <laughs> crazy analogy, but when you think about it, if you're asking me as a manager to manage a nuclear power plant, I know how to manage things. I know budgets. I know organization, but I don't know anything about the technology that you're asking me to to manage. So if the scientist in charge of reactor two comes to me and says, "Oh, don't worry, reactor two is just fine," 
well, a month from now, if it blows up, they're going to come back to me and say, what do you, you know, you're responsible for this. So that's a very uncomfortable position to be in. The, uh, another aspect of that is if that same scientist comes to me and says, oh, our equipment's so out of date, we need to spend a zillion dollars to upgrade. Well, how do I know? You know, I don't know anything about that. And when it comes to physicians and hospital executives and people that are not necessarily technology oriented, they've, they're in the same position. You know, how do they know if this technology is really going to work? How do they know if that's what you really need? How do they know that there's not a better source out there that can do it better than, than, you know, whoever the vendor is coming to me? So there's a lot of unsettledness, I guess, about purchasing this stuff. And that's one of the things that I think people selling to the hospital side and physician side need to understand that you're asking people with a lot of expertise to make decisions about things that they may have very little knowledge base about. And it's far easier. I've I've been in business development and sales and healthcare forever. If I don't really understand, it's so, so much easier just to say, no, nah, we're not interested. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. just protect from having to be embarrassed because I don't mean know. It's better. Exactly. Just means it's right. easier. That's right. right. <laughs> then they can decline what, what truly would be a solution that would be very useful and beneficial yep. to them. Absolutely. So, so Glenn, with, with the company uh, Pearson Health Tech Insights, then you say you're getting involved with that company that's developing the solution itself. Right, right, right. Because they, you know, my wife sent me a, a MSN has on their blogs, you know, they'll have things like the top 10 cycling cities in the country and all that. My wife sent me something about a year ago about a 28-year-old guy, 30 healthcare technology hotshots to watch under 30. And this one of them was a 28-year-old who had two successful IPOs. One of them was using the internet for restaurant delivery of food or something like that. And second one was like the internet for dry cleaning. And I said, now he's taking on healthcare. And I'm going, holy mackerel, <laughs> that guy, you know, you figure he's been successful. Maybe, maybe sometimes 20 year olds are a little bit overconfident, you know, and a guy who's been that successful probably thinks he has it nailed. Well, I can guarantee you walk into a hospital with that type of an attitude. I'm not blaming this guy, but, mm. you know, people who are coming from the outside who may have the technology chops really need to understand how important it is to fit within the ecosystem of healthcare so that they embrace what um, what you have to offer. So for for the companies like we're talking about here with tele, telehealth solutions and then your consultancy, Glenn, I mean, where do you all fit into things? Because I'm in, in talking with you, the key is you're working with that user side. You're helping them determine, ideally, Absolutely. should we do this? Or should we, should we do it and how do we do it? Right. So how do how does that interface happen? I mean, how do you make them aware, A, that this solution is out here for your expertise so that they can avoid some of those mistakes that can be very, very expensive, as you talked about? A lot of networking, a lot of marketing, a lot of word of mouth marketing. You know, I, I think that the uh, the best marketing that we've got are the past successes uh, that have called health healthcare is is a small fishbowl at the end of the day. We were joking around earlier, anybody that you competed against 10 years ago, you'll be working with or for in another 10 years. You know, I, I think that the results speak for themselves, but it's it's certainly been word of mouth marketing. And uh, like any like any business, it's a lot of feet on the street. When we talk about B2B solutions, and, and yes, we're talking healthcare, but these are B2B solutions. Uh, your customer is a business. Typically, when we're talking about some sort of a business type solution, like in, the, in this case, some expertise that might help you avoid misspending, if you will, how do you illuminate that pain point? Do you see what I'm saying? 
this is why you want to invest your time and, and some of your treasure in, in us so that this goes well for you. How do you, how do you get them there? Because they're like, oh, we've got a, our, our CIO is great. He knows what he's doing. Absolutely. Well, and, and part of that, and, you know, Glenn was alluding to that as well, is that one of the keys to healthcare is understanding who you're talking to. Because when you start talking about those pain points, there are pain points that I see from a technology adoption and effectiveness standpoint. But if you're talking to a CFO, the pain point's going to be financial. If you're talking to an operations guy, it's whether it's used or not. If you're talking to the CMO, it's whether it allows him or her to provide better care for patients. And they're fundamentally different value propositions depending on who you're talking to in the hospital. So you have to be able to, to translate not only what I see the problem to be, but then translate that into the language of whoever it is you're speaking to. Yeah, and if I could jump in, I would say that you have to do all those simultaneously because <laughs> at some point, I mean, That's every a major decision by committee for sure. Exactly. Every major purchase like that is going to involve probably eight or 10 or 40 people, and they're going to be coming from every one of those perspectives. And one of the things, you know, uh, the re- financial reality is that, um, and this is one of the some of the pitfalls I deal with my clients have to do with the financial side. And, and, and it's important to realize that in this day of very, very tight, finances, uh, major cuts in reimbursement and penalties and all that, unless you can demonstrate a reasonable and credible return on investment, uh, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, it would be nice to say that just the clinical value alone to the patients is going to save the day, but, you know, sometimes that happens, but most providers, both physicians and hospitals are so stressed financially that if it ends up being a net cost to them, they're going to really, really think long and hard before they're able to move forward. And with you, with you, Turner, and your work on the on that cl- clinical client side, mm-hmm. not so much the developer as where Glenn is focused. I mean, how often do, are you getting to be involved before they actually start pulling the trigger on some of this technology? I mean, do you tend to get involved? Oh, geez, we're starting to experience a rash now. We better get some help. Or how often yeah. do they think proactively like that? Yeah, I would say we've got some very, very good technology partners that we work with, and we have been able to get involved, I would say, roughly 60% of the time on the front end. And that typically is a, is a much easier path to follow than trying to remedy something that, uh, that has already gone south for you. Mm-hmm. If I could uh, jump here in for a minute, sure. being the one actually doing it, I would say we have probably 80% of the time we're able to get in right at the beginning because we're not undoing something. They're just learning it for the first time. And before they spend a lot of money, um, they are going to ask some questions. It's just a question of how broad will they go and do they try to keep it internal or are they going to have a broader perspective as to what's available on the market or whatever. But I think telemedicine is not reached critical mass. And so a lot of people are bringing us in early. Mm -hmm. Do you advise on different platforms in that process as you're collaborating with them? Because, I mean, obviously there's there's a number of them coming out now. We're going to talk about one of them. Um, you know, so do you help with that process? Because some of the consultants, for example, if you look at EHRs, they will sit down and they'll be able to tell you this is the strength and, and bells and whistles. This is how this one works. This and, and, and they can, much like you were talking about, based on what you're trying to achieve and what your culture is and so forth, they can help you pick one of those that will probably suit you better so that the process flows more smoothly. Is that what we're talking about as well? Absolutely. So we are kind of vendor and product agnostic. 
And that when we work with folks, what we're really working with is helping them match their specific workflow and then backfilling in now out of the, the entire universe of technology, specifically with telehealth, what is going to fit you most, fit you best, both from a pricing standpoint as well as a clinical results standpoint. At least in telehealth, what we have also found is that most folks end up with a solution that is runs across a number of different vendors for the functionality that mm -hmm. they need. Uh, so there's also a technology trick in making sure that all of the equipment across vendors is going to be interoperable, works well together, uh, and is continues to be easy to use because very, very few folks uh, are able to kind of integrate an entire solution along a single vertical. So it's really, really important not only to, again, understand that clinical workflow and the clinical application, but then understand the entire universe of products out there to be able to not only have the products work together, but work together for the client. Uh, and again, we, you know, we're product agnostic, so I don't, I don't have a dog in the fight about what you use. Uh, my, my goal is to get you the best technology that you can. And Tanya, talk a little bit more about women's telehealth and particularly the platform that you're working with today. Um, introduce folks to what it's trying to achieve and who, who okay, needs it. Okay, so women's telehealth is actually the provider. So uh, we provide high-risk obstetric and subspecialty obstetric care by telemedicine. Um, interestingly enough, 50% of our clients are urban. We've talked a lot about thinking. Uh, most people hear telemedicine and think that's a way to lend subspecialty care to rural, but actually yes. our fastest-growing segment because of convenience and cost drivers is actually in big cities. And most of our growth is actually in city telehealth. So that's kind of interesting. We've completed over 12,000 high-risk maternal fetal medicine encounters in the last four years, and we cover the seven southeast states. So we're in the Carolinas, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Um, from my perspective, as far as the platform is concerned, I agree with Turner because a lot of times we are vendor agnostic. I don't make my money from network services or selling hardware or the connectivity piece as a service provider. And our clients often dictate what the platform will be. So, for example, if I'm in a hospital, we're in South Carolina in HCA hospitals. HCA has their own telemedicine platform or pieces of it. So it may not work for my specialty. Um, uh, so, for example, I think Turner alluded to telehealth can be as easy as an audiovisual connection, like yeah. a behavioral health visit. Almost like Skype. We don't have, yeah, we don't have, it's like HIPAA compliance, yes, Skype. right. We don't have uh, Bluetooth stethoscopes and otoscopes with lights and cameras and right. uh, real-time ultrasound scanning, which we all use all of those tools in my business. We're going to look at the baby and the mom, so we're using plug-ins to smartphones for glucose monitoring and uh, wired-in connectivity where the ultrasound machine pulls it right into a telemedicine cart so we can see what the baby's doing real-time from here to Russia or India or Jackson, Georgia. Um, so the platforms themselves, I think, vary depending upon what's legacy. So we talked earlier about 80% of the time for our experience, um, who we're speaking with as a potential client is new to telehealth and will go in and do an assessment, as Turner said, and look at what equipment do you have? What connectivity do you have? A hospital is different than a doctor, is different than a government. State of Georgia has their own network. They're one of our clients. HCA has their own um, PAC system. Somebody else might have their own 
um, audiovisual tool that we need to use. So we found in our practice spanning government entities, doctors' practices directly in hospitals, it might be as easy as an embedded EMR that has an audiovisual telehealth component in the EMR for just follow-up visits, or it may be a very complicated configuration to be able to do live scanning inside of an acute hospital setting. And we see that entire range of platforms that we deal with. And so what you're saying is you are the clinical experts on the other We're end We're actually of providing the, the serve, yes. So we'll have the patient at the far end and we'll have our providers in kind of their own home base. And yes. we actually have providers that work in a variety of settings themselves. Some are part-timers that work from their regular physician practice. Some are 100% dedicated to us in our office. Um, some work from home. So the uh, nice thing about telemedicine on the provider side is you can take away brick and mortar and reach the patient wherever the patient is at convenient times um, to access the care. You know, So it's very flexible. We have home patients. We have patients that present at the hospital ER, and we have patients right in doctor's offices that do their obstetric visit, monthly visit with the doctor, and then just go two doors down and get their high-risk scan, and they don't have to go running around to the hospital and pay facility fees or um, have to go to another specialist office or whatever. One of the big trends that I see besides urban that I think is affecting us is we're going way mobile, so we used to have big telemedicine carts. It's going more and more to mobile devices. Right now, we're adding genetic counseling and patients on their iPads or smartphones even after hours from home and then go back into their OB visits. So I think we're getting more mobile and cheaper as far as equipment. I think probably Glenn could speak to the technology keeps coming down in price with better access and better availability. But I think staying flexible on the provider side I'm getting in and out of lots of different platforms and being agnostic because uh, I think you said something turned like there's 800. There's probably more than 800 applications. There's many, many, many. So it's, it is truly matching what is the client goals, what is their legacy platforms, equipment, and systems, and what are they trying to achieve, and then not being disruptive yes. with the clinical workflow, trying to integrate the tools where they're working right now and how they're working right now <laughs> So they have a new toolbox that gets the access faster and cheaper, but we're really not disrupting where they're working or how they're working or with the EMR they're working with and how does that all fit together. It's, it's creating the configuration that works in that clinical space for that client, whether it's a hospital, a doctor, a home health patient, or whatever in telemedicine. Yeah, and if I could underscore something you said, Tanya, that's very important, I think there are a couple of reasons why this is happening. One is that the underlying technology has gotten so pervasive. Um, you know, I trace this back to the late 90s with the dot-com and all that, where it began to change the mindset. You know, the technology makes possible things that 20 years ago were, were unheard of. So one thing is that the technology gotten better and better and better. Just think about how much more interactive any of the websites you go to today are than they were 15 or 20 years mm -hmm. ago. The other thing is that it's changed the consumer mindset. You know, the way I think about it, one's, if I ever go on a website and I'm trying to interact with the company behind it, and if they don't have an interactive capability, I get pretty frustrated and say, forget these guys. Mm -hmm. So people have gotten to the point where they say, you know what, if I can buy movie tickets and all this other stuff online... 
I expect to be able to get access to healthcare and, you know, find out information. Yeah. All I'll that. give you a clinical case. Right now we're in a clinical trial with one of the vendors where you think of a pregnant woman as going to, in to see her doctor once a month. And then as she gets closer to delivery, it's a little more frequent. We now have patients that we are seeing for their monthly antepartum visits from their home through telemedicine applications. And they only come into the doctor's office for their specialty testing three times in their entire month. And so the patients love having their baby listened to and checked and their blood sugar checked and all this stuff done from the convenience of their home on their desktop or iPad or whatever device that they have. So it's really changing um, the, the consumers. I think part of what's driving urban is the consumers are demanding convenience mm -hmm. and they now have the tools mm -hmm. at home to be convenient. And in healthcare, we have the tools that can make it convenient for them. Um, so I think that's just a big driver. And then hospitals bill a lot more than doctor's offices are outpatient. Yes. And so if patients can stay outpatient as opposed to in and lose facility fees and higher billing rates, then we can put technology straight in outpatient settings that they used to have to go in for testing for and do it remotely through telemedicine. So that drives the cost down for patients at a time when a lot of people have converted to high deductible policies. Right. And so it saves the patient uh, specialty fees instead of, you know, a thousand dollar facility fee or something. So I'm still trying to get my arms around the, the model for women's telehealth in particular, thinking about you as more or less a you're like a physician's practice. We are. And you're delivering it through this platform. We are. We're exactly a subspecialty physician practice. To put it in perspective, we have in Georgia alone, maybe 13 to 1400 obstetricians in mm -hmm. Georgia. Mm -hmm. We have about 40 counties that have no delivering hospital and have no obstetrician. And out of those, obstetricians can specialize into maternal fetal medicine with another three-year fellowship. Right. There's only about 20 of those in Georgia. Okay. And 16 of the 20 are here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so they're mostly at Northside or Emory. There's a few, one in Macon, one in Columbus, one in our bigger cities. But if you're a patient in Tacoa and you have a baby that your ble wife's bleeding or the baby's having a problem, you got a long drive and we hope you make it. Telemedicine allows us to scan the babies and the moms in their home community to even see if they need to go anywhere much safer or we as the specialist can direct the obstetrician how to take care of her. And the results can be quite dramatic and life-saving um, for the infants because we don't have a lot of time in obstetrics if things go wrong. Right. But when you have 20 of a, of a subspecialty, like a neurology, a brain surgeon isn't in the Okefenokee swamp, but if yes. you have a stroke there, <sighs> if you could get to a telemedicine unit in the community critical care hospital and dial back to the specialist here in town at Emory, uh, or wherever they're connected to, you can save a lot of time and lives with the clockbusters. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that same kind of idea. What's kind of shifting, as I think Lynn alluded to and I did as well, is that it's you think of telemedicine as a way to deliver care where people don't have access, and that's true. But what is happening over time is I don't like sitting in traffic I've got 45 minutes of drive just to my OB. If I can have my visit at home, I'd rather have it at home. So the patients are beginning to demand it more in urban settings. Yes. So we're seeing it everywhere from the home to the doctor's office to the hospital. We're even seeing telemedicine in ambulances now. 
Yes. And so we're not even dialing in by phone. We're literally taking iPads in an ambulance. We have school-based telehealth where we have counties with no services. We put telemedicine units in schools and the kids can be seen by the school nurse and uh, connect directly to the pediatrician five counties over. So it's really kind of astounding. You almost have to see it to believe it. Um, But again, as many formulas as there are, finding the right configuration People like Glenn on the, you know, on the technology side and Turner helping people know what they don't know. They don't understand what's available, so they don't know what they don't know. I actually deliver it once it's kind of connected. I don't have a stake in the <laughs> yes, connectivity. Right. I'm yeah. actually, no, you want this. I know it's possible. We'll help you with partners do the parts we don't do. And when you're connected, we deliver the service that way. Yeah. I think it's interesting because one of the companies that I had interviewed a while back in the telemedicine space is similar, but different. Mm -hmm. This is a, this is a more unique still model that I've seen yet. Uh, Their, their piece was focused on pediatrics. Mm -hmm. There, it was a combination of telemedicine and home visits. Mm -hmm. So there would be a, a pediatric nurse professional that would be in the home mm-hmm. with the devices that you talked about, right. the Very otoscopes and all Georgia. of that. We're yeah. seeing this with this home patient that we're monitoring. We can actually hear the baby's heartbeat yeah. and monitor blood sugars and monitor weights through wireless home monitoring yeah. that comes straight back to us. And now we even have, if the patient's uh, falling out of a clinical comfort zone, they can hit video chat from their home and get connected straight into us. And uh, I think another interesting space that we're seeing people get involved isn't just clinical, but payers. You know, women's telehealth is working with some of the payers directly because it's cheaper for the payers to use a tool like telemedicine um, through their on-call centers and connecting. So there's a whole lot of connectivity going on. I just think it's interesting because in that particular case that I'm talking about in the pediatric side of things, they had the technology platform as well. You see what I'm saying? They, it was flowing through their gear, but what you're talking about is, is you're providing the clinical expertise. All right. What system are you using to deliver this platform? Yes. And we'll plug into it. Right. Yeah. And sometimes I do get a chance to dictate it. Like if we have a, a provider comes that's an OB and says, I want to put it in my practice. I have no idea how to do that. We'll help connect them with the right platform for what they're trying to do. Um, but more often than not, we're going to have some kind of idea of I'm going to inherit connectivity issues because we ha- we use ultrasound. We have a broad pipeline. So I might have to lay a T1 line in one place, but Another place has fiber and I have all the speed I need. I don't really need that. Some might need plugins for a lot of technology like Bluetooth stethoscope where I can put the stethoscope on you in Jackson, Georgia and hear it up here in Atlanta in my ears in real time. Um, but somebody else really may not have that need. They just need the, the trigger monitoring from home. So how do you do that side of things when you have some sort of a assessment device, a stethoscope, mm-hmm. uh, an ultrasound device, whatever the case may be that you have to a piece of equipment that mm-hmm. needs to transmit some mm-hmm. pictures or sound, whatever. Mm-hmm. How is that handled it, it, in terms of, is there a professional, are they going for those cases or am I going to for that some kind site? Of, for that kind of high technology clinical right. application yes. to scan a baby, we can't just have women scanning their sure. own babies right. you know, at home. That's what I'm so they would have about. to go to a hospital, doctor's okay. office or clinic And they would have technology there that mirrored my own. So they might be in front of a camera 
a device where we connect the the wireless Bluetooth stethoscope and the ultrasound machine where the patient is, and then it goes up through the cloud to me, and I can see it in real time. Think of like a gotcha. yeah. fast frame grabber sure. that pushes it to the cloud, and then I can see mm-hmm. that scan in real time. I got you. Um, so it, it just depends. But in the high-tech scenario for critical care babies, you know, we have a problem and we've got a limited amount of time. They're going to have to get in a clinical setting that has the ultrasound and the tools that we would use to do a virtual exam. And so we can do, we do cervical screening now with telemedicine, with light (laughs) cameras and light scopes. People think it sounds funny, but we can use, and we always have with the patient, uh, what we call a presenter. So it's a clinical person, like a medical assistant, a nurse or a sonographer uh, we don't just put the patient in an exam room, say, good luck, the camera will pop on the TV yes. in a few minutes and you can yeah. talk to the doctor. <laughs> and the doctor might need labs drawn or certainly follow-up care like they would in any clinical practice. So we'll still need the follow-up care done. So the at the telemedicine site where the patient is, there's always a clinical representative with them that can handle the equipment, put the stethoscope in the right place, scan the baby, work the equipment. And then if the uh, we'll have the doctor audiovisual visit and after the visit there'll be follow-up care so that person can then follow up with labs or a subsequent visit or patient education or whatever and you mentioned the fact that the vast majority of the maternal fetal specialists are here in, in the city Atlanta. they're in cities nationally and 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 you know here in this community most of them that i'm aware of are located on one particular campus from the my precious, I don't want to let anybody else in to compete with me. Where do you fit into that model? Because I would assume based on what you're saying that the hospital systems tend to be your client to, to offer this additional service. In some service. case they are. Like for example, um, well, the one that you're referring to here in town really doesn't have a telemedicine component. You know, 17,000 births and they don't offer telemedicine services yet. Contrarily over in South Carolina, MUSC has a big telemedicine center and outreach, but they own those centers. And so the people that are a little out of that are in second tier hospitals, like an hour away. The patients have to travel more than an hour to get into Mm -hmm. a big hospital like we're talking about or over at MUSC or whatever. Those would be good candidates for uh, telemedicine because the patients can stay right in their community. A good example we had in the South Carolina site was Uh, We had a small hospital that patients drove an hour and a half to get to Charleston. Hospital and and the OBs would lose the patients. They would go to the high-risk specialist, never to be seen again, and deliver over there. But what the hospital did was they said, we transfer, it was an HCA hospital, we transfer 50 babies a year. Just to put it in frame of reference, those are high-risk premature deliveries typically requiring an NICU visit Mm -hmm. or neonatal intensive care at you know, five to ten thousand dollars a day, a twenty average twenty day average length of stay. Those babies are two hundred thousand to a half a million dollars. Hospitals losing money. Okay, sending them out. We put a perinatal center in the hospital so the patients could stay right in their community instead of drive an hour and a half. At the end of a year, HCA told us if you can just keep twenty five here, the hospital will keep their NICU open. That's what I was trying to get to. And the patients can stay right here. Why have you be here when in some ways it might be thought of as you competing with my my employee physician group? Yeah. In this particular case, all the OBs kept their patients. The patients didn't have to drive more than five minutes across town (laughs) and the hospital filled their NICU up. At the end of our first year, out of the 50, we were supposed to have a goal of 25. 
We only transferred three. So the hospital was ecstatic because they had a new service and they kept their existing service busy when it wasn't busy. And they're in seven figures of savings or more. That's exactly right. Yeah, Yeah. and this whole discussion really points to a very important component that we've alluded to a couple of times here because there's so many complexities to make this work. It's important for every part of the delivery system, you know, the hospitals, the physicians, the payers, Mm -hmm. uh, the developers, the entrepreneurs developing that to come up with a way that works for everybody. And, you know, again, the folks that I work with, some of them are, you know, they're very bright people, of course, but they may not understand all these complexities of, well, if I have this new service come in, that's kind of disruptive. And, you know, in the technology world, disruptive is a good term. Yes. Well, you put that into healthcare and that may yes. not always be. Healthcare is pretty conservative. I've been down that path myself with a staffing company. They were trying to replace the big piece of paper that the nurse staffing office works off of that has all the color coded yeah. markers. Oh, yeah. That, that showed the the shift in the nurse and the unit and et cetera. And we were sure we could develop an, a, a, a portal, an ASP-based portal that would let that go away and they could just do it all digitally. And it's a lot harder than you think to get them to stop using that. Yeah. Whatever. Well, and they, they use it for a reason. Way. Yeah. It works. Yes. Uh, I think you were joking with me at lunch a number of months ago, Glenn, that so many times as healthcare professionals and crossing over into the technology world, we have talked to folks that have designed technology that they think is going to work great in healthcare or solve healthcare's problems. And they lead off with all you have to do is dot, dot, dot. Right. (laughs) Ten more clicks. And it's not that simple. That's right. That's right. You're, you're, You're exactly right. It ends up not, it adds to the workflow. Exactly. Instead of streamlining it. And that's what's going to make that happen is streamlining. Or as we were referring to here, it can create a disruption in the patient flow from a, you know, primary care physician to a specialist or to a hospital. And you have to consider what the economic impact of these changes are going to be. And if you can develop things that really are in everybody's best interest, I know I sound like Pollyanna. No, but it's true. That's what you work towards. Yeah. Because I mean, everybody along that, all those stakeholders are going to be worried about their pie to get it used the reality of it is you've got to, you've got to serve all of those stakeholders. Right. So right, absolutely. Before we let you go, get back to your office. Do we have anything else we need to throw out there? I think this is a really interesting model, Tanya, that you're talking about here with providing the practice, not necessarily the technology itself. You choose your technology platform. We'll provide the specialist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it really brings specialists right into the doctor's office and makes it convenient to the patients. And so one of our fastest, uh, Areas of growth really is hospitals, but as Glenn alluded to, just selling inside of a hospital to 40 stakeholders is way different than six doctors sitting around (laughs) at a board meeting and saying, let's go, and in 45 days, we're up and live. Um, So doctor's offices really, they're trying to keep continuity of care and make it easy for the patient and make it cost effective. So I think we'll see, Turner and I have talked a lot about uh, piping a lot more telemedicine subspecialties directly into doctors' offices. Mm-hmm. And now we have teledocs, uh, where just primary care doctors are making telemedicine stations as just one tool in their practice. So I think, you know, certainly subspecialty care, where there's limited number of providers all across the board, not just obstetrics, is a ripe area for implementing a lot more telemedicine. And hospitals, as the tertiary care you know, we're just having to extend our reach in the hospitals and keep, especially in Georgia and in states like Georgia, we're closing critical care hospitals. And we've closed a lot of obstetric units in Georgia um, this year still, mm-hmm. when we still 
don't have enough counties that even have delivery services. So a tool like telemedicine, just extending the viability of labor and delivery services and being able to keep them at home in their home communities, I think is we're going to see more and more and more. Yes. And it sounds like we're starting to figure out a little bit more of the broad ways we can effectively leverage this so that the level of care that we're providing is truly meeting the need, just being handled in a little bit different fashion. Right. right. Absolutely. Well, I think what really highlighted is the power of technology when it is done well for the delivery of care uh, to the benefit not only of the provider, but of the patient and to the payer. We've seen great leaps in the technology and with folks like Glenn as well, helping folks develop the technology of tomorrow. Uh, I can't imagine the the benefits that well-done technology can bring to healthcare in another 10 years. Yeah. And I think we're in a very, very exciting time because the rate of change, I believe, is accelerating. And in my work now with my clients, I hear all kinds of just amazing technologies that, you know, fast forward five, three, five, seven years healthcare is going to look a whole lot different yes. in a very, very positive way. Hopefully so a little bit a more time. use of data, big data, and yeah, being yeah, able to yeah. identify. I think too, just blurring the lines. You know, we got a call this week from a, um, a company that deals with children's reading programs and they you were using audiovisual connectivity to get outlier kids in rural poor areas to learn to read in their early developmental years. But what they realized is we can back that up. And now that we have an AV platform, we can actually use that for some healthcare applications for these kids and their moms. So how do we do that? So you would never think of a reading company as really having anything to do with healthcare. But now that we have connectivity in many, many places, we're seeing we can use that platform in a multitude of ways. Yeah, at the same I think time, it's easier yeah. and easier. Interesting. Right? Tell folks where they can go to get information about. Yeah, so for know. us, you can go to our website at www.womenstelehealth.com or you can call us at 404-478-3017. And how about you, Glenn? Yeah, my website is uh, Pierce, www.pearsonhti, that's P-E-A-R-S-O-N-H-T-I for healthtechinsights.com. And phone is 770-861-6941. And Turner Smith, thanks so much for making some time here and helping put this this together. Tell folks where they can go to get information about Telehealth Solutions. Absolutely. We're at www.telehealthsolutions.us. Our number, you can reach me directly, certainly anytime at 404 404- Two six three eight four zero nine. If you're coming back and you're checking out the podcast, if you haven't done so already, if you'll notice in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, the Apple logo there, it'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Top Docs Radio Show podcast lives. You can subscribe to us there, and that way every week when the new episode comes out, it's there on your device waiting for the ride to work or the walk with the dog, whatever the case may be for you. And we hope you turn around and share this information with your networks. You never know when that click of share might just put this information in the hands of either someone that helps their their clinical outcome, or in in some cases might even help their organization deliver care on a higher level. So we really want to say thank you very much in advance for that. All of you here in the studio, thanks for taking some time. I know you're busy folks. It's a really cool information. And and I think that the way you're going about delivering your, your, your service, Tanya, is really intriguing. I'm glad we had a chance to sit down and talk about it. So, uh, We'll have to have you come back maybe sometime if we got somebody around in the community that's using the service that might be able to talk about it from that Sounds side great. of the business yeah. case. So we'll have you back down All the road. Right. And uh, everybody out there who made us a part of their day today, I want to say thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We'll look forward to seeing you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 